So I think this, this first um, session on missions is going to be more to do with talking about the Great Commission. Talking about the Great Commission and relating it to how we see missions now. How we see missions now. Because the reality is, is the whole topic of missions has become much foggier um, in, our, in our generation. If I can say our generation, right? But it's <laughs> In this generation, this generation, but it started back in the 80s, I would say, so that's my generation. <coughs> How about we, we get started by praying? Father, we're so thankful that you love us. We're thankful that, that you've brought us to yourself, that we've heard the gospel, many of us, at a young age. And, and Lord, that's entirely of your grace. We're so thankful for the people that you brought into our lives that have led us to yourself and taught us your word. And Father, we pray that as we look at your word and look at particularly at the Great Commission, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to understand the problem well, and particularly, Lord, that you'd challenge our hearts and help us to learn uh, about what you would have us do. Thank you, Father, for this time, and thank you for each of these uh, people who have come to, to listen and pray that you'll bless each heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, I'm Simon Pyatt. This is Annie, my wife. Um, <coughs> we've been in... Sorry, <coughs> bit of asthma. Um, we've been serving in Indonesia since 2006. So the first couple of years were mostly sort of language learning and orientation. But since that point, we've been serving at a Bible college up in uh, a place called Sulawesi, northern Sulawesi. Um, and we teach up there at the language we use is Indonesian. And for these last three years, we've been back here in New Zealand because our kids are older. They're sort of, was it 18 through 22? And um, we wanted to give them some time to settle back here without us being away from them. So I've been writing uh, Bible commentaries in Indonesian, which has been a lot of fun this, this last little while. And so we're planning um, to be back in Indonesia January full-time, um, serving in the same place. This uh, picture here, again, it's a horrible picture. I'm sorry about that. This is in the Taliabu tribe. I don't know if any of you guys have seen on YouTube. There's a, a, a video there called the Taliabu story. This is where these, these many people came, came to know Christ. And we, we continue ongoing sort of discipleship uh, towards them. This is their leaders learning more about what it means to be a church uh, together. Um, but what I really want to look at today is our commission. Our commission. <coughs> and what is it? So we think of, of missions now. And when I listen to people talk about missions... I notice there's, there's a real lack of understanding as to what it entails. We can think of it as helping the needy. Oh, you've gone overseas to help the needy. Or we can think of it in terms of fighting injustice. We might have heard that. Sometimes we think of it in terms of, well, I'm not going, but I think that guy can do a good job and sending money. Uh, we think of it as serving overseas in almost any capacity, as long as you're kind of doing good. Um, or we think of it in terms of local evangelism. This has been a popular one to live missionally here. Um, and actually, is that actually doing missions? That's something we're going to uh, look at as we go further on. Another aspect, <clears throat> we're going to come back to all of these questions after we've had a bit of a look at the Great Commission. Um, another aspect of that is the why of missions. Um, many people I talk to are confused as to why anybody's still going to do missions. Um, isn't the job already finished? Um, aren't local workers doing it? Is another one that, that's come out in recent years. 
what's interesting is that we work with local workers and we know what they say. And, and so it's, it'll be interesting, maybe we can have a discussion on that later. Um, and then another aspect of this is why does it take so long? Uh, something that we'll probably cover a bit more in the second session. Um, so first of all, I want to show you a few statistics about what's going on in the world at the moment. And you, you can't see those at all, can you? It's not just my glasses. Um, so what this is saying here, <laughs> no, that's completely useless. I'll go to the, here we go. That's another one. Just come in there. No, Did you want to take over speaking? No, I just, yes, Sam. You can do that. I don't mind. I'm happy to sit down. So this is actually looking at, at the unreached people groups in the world. Um, and this is answering the question, uh, is, is there still need of missions in the world? So we look at this and unreached people groups. Unreached people groups make up 41.5% of the world's population. Now this is people who are less than 2% evangelical. Less than 2% evangelical and less than 5% professing Christian. So almost entirely no opportunity to hear the gospel. That's 41% of the world's population. Minimally reached is under 2% evangelical but over 5% professing Christian. That's 7% of the world's population. Superficially reached are another, another group there who, who have more than 5% professing Christian and just over 2%, but still, still just over 2% evangelical, but still almost entirely unreached. So from here across to here are people in this world who live with almost no opportunity to hear the gospel. And then we have partially reached and significantly reached, and we're in this group over here in New Zealand, significantly reached. This is, this is quite incredible to see this and think, is the job done? Well, goodness no. Um, next aspect is to compare it with New Zealand. If we compare it with New Zealand, actually, there are unreached people groups in New Zealand. Did you realize that? There are some unreached people groups, 25. Uh, so that means people coming from unreached people groups in other places and coming here, do we, do we target them? Do we realize that there's actually a mission field on our back door? But when we look at the stats, and this is an interesting one, when you think of the unreached people groups, they have uh, almost no chance to hear the gospel. We're 18.6% evangelical in New Zealand. Yes? Um, are we allowed to take photos of the Yeah, or I can give it to you on a thumb drive if you've got one of those too. Because oh. this is hopelessly um, unclear, unfortunately. I think it... Oh, I can see like the words. Yeah. yeah, okay. Thank you. The other thing you can do if you want to write it down is go to the Joshua Project. Joshua Project is, a, is quite a good website that shows good statistics. This is, that's where this is from. So Christianity in New Zealand is, is 50%. That's professing Christians. But people who say they believe the gospel, which is evangelical, are 18.6%. So that's roughly one to every five non-believers in New Zealand. And so that's the New Zealand statistics. Um, one interesting thing that we talk about when we talk about um, lack of church attendance, this is an interesting one I found recently. This is talking about um, Christian affiliation. So obviously when New Zealand started, we considered ourselves about 100% Christian, right? And it's this that's really dropped off. You can see that where here, no religion has really taken off. 
But look at this. This is church attendance, regular church attendance. So people that consider themselves regular church attendees has not dropped all that much at all. So the media keeps telling us that we're this tiny little minority of people whose, whose uh, opinion doesn't matter, when actually the, the, the true church, the people who, who sought fellowship with other Christians and so on, has actually never been that high in New Zealand and hasn't actually dropped off all that much. So I thought that was an interesting one to put in there. When we speak of, of labourers, <clears throat> and this hopefully is a little bit clearer, if I can make it work. Yeah, the labourers. So this is missionaries, speaking of people who work cross-culturally. Uh, the labourers here, total missionaries in the world, out of, what are we, over 7 billion, aren't we? World population at the moment. We've got 400,000 missionaries. And that's it. Um, so this is where they're spread. To reach people groups, so those are the ones that are like, like New Zealand, to reach people groups, 77.3% of missionaries go to reach people groups. The under-evangelized under or unevangelized, and that's the, the cross between the minimally reached and the superficially reached before, 19.4% um, of missionaries. To the unreached, 3.3% of missionaries are currently going to the unreached the least reached peoples in the world. Do you know what type of a missionary in that context? It's a cross-cultural worker, generally, yeah. Okay, so let's look at local workers. This is another one where we think about local workers. Is this something that, that local workers are currently doing? And that means local Christians working in their own culture. So 75.9% of them work in their own culture, and that's good, because you really hope they're going to do that. Um, is it 23% of them work in the unevangelized? Look at this, for the unreached, 0.37%. 0 0.37% of, of local laborers work amongst the unreached. So again, we're seeing that the unreached people groups, and that was a huge, like 41% of the world's population, has very little opportunity to hear the gospel. Um, the ratios, this is interesting. And sometimes these things, I, I, I like statistics because they bring it down to, to brass tacks. Um, is workers to unreached in an unreached people group, UP, UPGs, unreached person, uh, unreached people group. Workers to unreached, the ratio, one Christian worker to every 200,000 people in an unreached people group. Evangelical Christians to unreached people groups, uh, to, to, to unreached in an unreached people group is one or two to every hundred people. That's just an evangelical Christian. And compare it in New Zealand, evangelical Christians to unreached in New Zealand is one to five. One to five. So all that to say, the job's not done. The job's not done. There's a whole lot more to do. And missions is, is very, very important. Well, let's go from that and we're gonna bounce back and, and discuss some of those things after. But let's look at the commission. And I think that's going to fall off the edge of the wall, but not the first one. So I just want to look at the Great Commission, if you turn there in Matthew, Matthew 28. Matthew 28. <coughs> come in, come in. Matthew 28. 
Let's read it there from, uh, I want to read it um, from verse 17, actually from verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So I want to see a number of things through here. And the first one I want to look at is the how come. How come missions? How come the Lord wants us to go to all peoples? Well, the simple fact is we go to be missionaries because we're told to. Because we're told to. It's, it's simple obedience. And I love the, the atmosphere of this verse. Look at, look at verse 17. There's a sense in which they're coming to their full realization of who this Jesus is. In verse 17, when they saw him, they did what? They worshipped him. They fell before him. This was, this was not something you did to a man, uh, worshipping him. And so they worshipped him. And look at how he frames the command here in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, it's an authoritative command. Uh, something that is, that is said very strongly. You want motivation? The Lord of heaven and earth told us to do this. Told us to make disciples of all nations. We don't need the heavens to open again. He's already spoken. We don't need a special feeling because feelings come and go. And let me tell you, they certainly go when you're in the middle of culture stress. They certainly go when you're facing things that are completely foreign to you. And you need more than just a feeling. You need to know that you're called by the Lord of heaven and earth to do what you're doing. And you know what? Our... Uh, motivation every one of us to make disciples whether it's here or whether it's overseas is just this because we're called to do it we're commanded to do it his authority also gives us the courage to preach the gospel why is that because i'm not speaking on my own authority i'm not speaking because i'm better than anybody else i'm i'm passing on his command and his command is that all people everywhere repent right so this is important and the other aspect of this uh, his authority is that he gives us an all-conquering gospel. I was just reading um, a study on the book of Acts recently, and that was one of the main points of the book of Acts, is that we have an all-conquering gospel. We went from the time where there was just 120 of, 120 of them who were standing there against the whole world, and by the end of the first century, there was one, one um, Roman uh, official that said, I can't believe it, it's like everybody's a Christian. Um, that wasn't an exact quote. Um, but it's, it's that sense that, wow, you know, look at what Christianity has done through this all-conquering gospel. And this is something we forget. You know, we look at our world and we think, man, people are so hard. Well, were they soft back in New Testament times? I don't think so. You know, we have an all-conquering gospel. We have a gospel that breaks through to people and it comes from his authority. So this is important. Um, so that's the, the how come, the who to. Is, is the next part. This is in verse nine, uh, 19. Sorry, Christ says, Make disciples of all nations. All nations. We think about nations and we think, well, what is that? South Africa and New Zealand and 
what's a, a nation, but actually it's really clearly set out in, in Revelation 5.9 where it speaks about the people that Christ ransomed. It says he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. These are the people that need to hear because there's a ransom there for them that Christ has paid on their behalf. So you would be right in, in concluding that this also means our nation, every nation, right? So that includes, includes New Zealand. Um, and that's, that's actually a very important thing. There's, there's an issue that comes up, though, that, that, and I've heard it a number of times, and it, it's tended to be negative, is that when you speak about missions, someone will say, but we're all missionaries. Have you heard that? We're all missionaries? Are you? That's what I'd ask. I mean, I, I don't mind it as an illustration. It's a fine illustration. As long as we say we're all preachers and we're all pastors and we're those sorts of things, because it's an illustration. But when you say I'm a missionary, are you? To the people in this nation? This is important for us to, to realize about ourselves. God has called us to make disciples of all nations. And that's us, right? And some of us go and some of us stay. But we've got to be disciple makers, leading people to Christ being a proud Christian, not being a, a wilting violet that actually doesn't want anyone to know that they're a Christian. Proudly a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's something that he's put in our hands. This is us. It is our ministry. Very important. Also here, and I think, you know, looking at the statistics that we looked at before, it's very clearly a call for every tribe, every people, every language, every nation who can't currently hear the gospel. This is our command to go to those peoples. And it's really important that we look at both of those things. All peoples is our commission. The how-to is the next part. So how come, who to, how to? How-to. It actually says it here. It's quite nicely done. Um, there are three key elements, going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, going is something that's been, there's been some confusion about that. If This is what's called a Greek participle, and you probably don't want to memorize that. Um, if it stood alone, it would mean as you go. But when it's next to a command, it doesn't mean as you go. It's actually something that's necessary to the carrying out of the command. So it's go, make disciples of all nations. The, the sense is it's almost a no-brainer. If you're going to make disciples of all nations, you actually have to go to those nations, right? It's a no-brainer if those people are going to come to Christ. So it's, um, yeah, the, the current guy who's probably the standard in Greek, um, uh, as a Greek scholar, a guy called Daniel Wallace, he, he sees it this way, certainly that it carries the force of a command, but it's command that's tied to the carrying out of the, com uh, sorry, it's, it's a command that's tied to the carrying out of the main command, which is make disciples of all nations. So you can't make disciples of all nations unless people go and unless people send those people to go. This is very important. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And when we look at those statistics, we have to see that it's our responsibility to either go or see that people go. Uh, to those people groups. And this is certainly how the apostles understood it. They intentionally planted churches in Rome and Spain, Asia Minor, Greece, Russia, Egypt, Ethiopia, Armenia, Iran, and even as far as India, if the, the history is correct. 
Paul didn't go on three tent-making expeditions and hope he was going to make disciples as he went. Not at all. He went intentionally seeking to plant churches where Christ's name had never been heard, and he made tents so that he could live, right? Um, So this was intentionally, intentional there. So the command can't be filled without people willing to go and others willing to send them. The second here is baptism. And this is interesting because it's being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So it's clear understanding of who God is. In Indonesia, they have this, um, actually in the national statement, uh, they have the, what they call, uh, people have to believe that there's one God or one great Godi thing. Ketuhanan yang maha asa. And, and you look at it and go, it's, it's so vague that even Hindus are included. People who don't believe in one God, but they say it so vaguely that you have to believe this to be an Indonesian citizen. Um, this is nothing like that. You, you must believe clearly who God is. You must believe clearly who his son is. You must believe clearly who the Holy Spirit is and their role in your life. Um, and of course, being baptized again is a proud Christian, right? Someone who stands up and says, I'm a Christian. I'm willing to be baptized. And in many places, baptism is the last straw. Like in a Muslim context, baptism's the last straw. If someone becomes a Christian, they're kind of like, oh, I don't want you to be, but please don't be baptized. Because that so thoroughly identifies you with Christ. So this is a proud Christian. And then finally, um, they're made disciples of Christ by being taught to obey all that he's commanded them. All that he's commanded them. And of course, this is the word of God. The word of God. This is disciple making. Using the word of God. Bringing a clear gospel. Bringing all of the word of God. All that he's commanded them to bear on the life of the believer, but to bring it authoritatively. Because they're not just to know. They're actually to obey. Obey that word. So this is why in in mission work, You know, we think people are there for a long time, but they're they're doing Bible translation. This is so important uh, that that people have the Word of God in their hands. They're also doing systematic teaching of the Word of God. This is what we want in our churches, but somehow we seem to think of something less when it comes to missions, that we want people to have a lesser standard and let's just get it done and get out of there. Well, actually, that's not what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to thoroughly teach, to, to make people disciples. And the last one, just briefly, is the, the how on earth. And, and you can imagine these people. Can you think about what it meant for them to look at what was 500 million people at the time on planet earth, all of whom Christ had said would hate them? That's something, you know, for them to look up what had just happened to Christ. He'd just been betrayed and murdered um, by, by his people who should have accepted him. And these guys were amongst those people. And then he says, all right, well, you could imagine he just say, well, lie low, <laughs> lie low, and maybe you won't die. He doesn't. He says, make disciples of all nations, all nations. And you can imagine them hearing it. I would have been like, I can't believe you're telling us to do that. You know, we're all going to die. Um, but, you know, the comfort he gave them was this beautiful one here. I'm with you. I'm with you. That was it. And I think, I think that's the beautiful thing that we have is that when we are seeking to lead people to him, when we're thinking about what's possible for my life, what I could possibly do for the Lord, to think of this rather than thinking how big the task is, to think Christ is with me. 
Christ is with me. I don't need to be scared of people who reject me. I don't need to be scared of death. I don't need to be scared of whatever may come because Christ is with me. And that's a, a precious thing for them. So let's, we've, we've had a look at the, the Great Commission and I'm going to fill that out more in the next, in the next session as we look at uh, 2 Timothy 2.2. But let's come back and have a bit of a look. We've got plenty of time for discussion, for discussion thankfully, um, at some of, some of those questions we looked at before. And what is our commission? Um, and I'll just bring all these ones up for now. Have you guys got some thoughts on what our mission should be? Looking at these various points. What it means to make disciples of all nations. What, what missions is. What would you have thought missions was before you sort of started looking at these things? Was it somewhere in these, quest uh, somewhere in these questions? Yep, basically helping the needy. It's interesting because these all used to be part, a part of the Christian life, didn't they? Do we need to split it off and say we've got a special group that <laughs> will have missionaries over here and they're, they're going to do this, but we have these other ones and they're doing, well, hang on. When I, it's interesting, we're, we're part of a mission organization called Ethnos New Zealand. It used to be called New Tribes Mission. And we're, we're working in remote people groups. And actually, we do all of this. Um, you do help the needy and you do fight injustice. Um, we are serving overseas. But, but the reality is it's all part of the church planning process. It's all part of being a Christian where you are. But what, what happened, and it started happening back in the 80s, was we had these, I don't know if you guys, are, you're probably not old enough, but they had Mother Teresa videos that show at Youth for Christ things, and that was missions, and it's like, oh, wow, that's missions. You know, and it's reaching out to poor people in Calcutta. What about their souls? What about their souls? You know, this is, this is important that we, we are clear on this. And another aspect of the helping of the needy and the fighting injustice is that when you preach the gospel, you change culture. And this is another aspect that we think, oh, if we change a despotic leader, somehow that's going to fix the culture. Doesn't. That person flourished from that culture, grew from that culture. And what happens? Another one will come on or another group will come on and, and take it over. Why did ISIS happen? It happened because Saddam Hussein got, dropped, got pushed out. You know, one evil gets taken from another because you haven't dealt with the core issue, which is culture. Evangelism deals with culture. We see people in, in the mission we're, that, that we're with, they believe, have you guys heard of animism before? Animism, it's basically people who are scared of the spirits. They appease the spirits um, in, their, in their daily life. And mostly it's a, it's a religion or a belief of fear where they live in terror. And when we come in and, and present the gospel to them, and apply it to, to, to their lives and help them to see that actually God is the almighty God. Tell them who the demons are that they're currently scared of. And they realize that they're a child of God, forgiven in him. Well, they're no longer scared of the spirits. It absolutely transforms their culture, um, transforms their way of life. They're no longer scared of the outside world. So they come out and start to play their part in, in Indonesian life um, and stand on their own feet. And often the officials on the outside say, how do these people sound so educated? Well, they're not that educated. They're actually people who know who, who they belong to. People who have status that comes from knowing that they're Christ's children. And this, this actually has a huge impact on fighting injustice and in helping the needy. I've got a neat um, 
uh, article here that was written a number of years ago, back in 2008, by a guy called Matthew Paris. He's an atheist. He's an atheist. And do you know what he says? He, this is entitled, As an Atheist, I Truly Believe That Africa Needs God. This is really interesting. Missionaries, not aid money, are the solution to Africa's biggest problem, the crushing passivity of people's mindset. So he was a guy who grew up in Africa, um, in Malawi, uh, and he went back there later on as a confirmed atheist. And this is what he said. I'll read you a number of quotes from here. Now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution of Christ that Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the work of regular non-government organizations, government projects and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Educating and training, education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation transformation the rebirth is real the change is good why an atheist wrote that you know about what he'd what he'd seen because he'd seen a massive difference between where christian missionaries had been involved and where just aid organizations had been involved I'll keep reading whenever we entered a territory worked by missionaries we had to acknowledge that something changed in the faces of the people we passed and spoke to. Something in their eyes, the way they approach you, direct, man to man, without looking down or away. They had not become more deferential towards uh, strangers, in some ways less so, but more open. Um, there's one more quote at the end here I want to read to you. Christianity post-Reformation, post-Luther, so that's Protestant Christianity, with its teaching of the direct personal two-way link between the individual and God, unmediated by the collective and unsubordinate to any other human being, smashes straight through the philosophical spiritual framework I've just described. It offers something to hold on to, to those anxious to cast off crushing tribal groupthink. That is, that is why and how it liberates. Those who want Africa to walk tall amidst 21st century global competition must not kid themselves that providing the material means or even the know-how that accompanies what we call development will make the change. A whole belief system must first be supplanted, and I'm afraid it has to be supplanted by another. Removing Christian evangelism from the African equation may leave the continent at the mercy of of a malign fusion like Nike, the witch doctor, and the mobile phone and the machete. Um, so amazing to see that, even from an atheist, he can look on and go, it's actually the missionaries that, that need to be out there doing the work. So bringing the gospel to people absolutely transforms them. And we've been delighted to, to see the results of that in many people's lives in the places where we work. We had uh, one people group called the Tugutil People Group. They're still around. Uh, they were reached back in the 80s, um, 80s and early 90s. And they had an ethnomusicologist come in. And he, I'm sorry, an anthropologist come in. He was very interested in them because they're a very uh, strong people group in their own culture and language. They don't really know Indonesian very well. And he wanted to go in and study them. So he went in and studied and he was absolutely awestruck by the fact that the change that the gospel had brought about in their lives. And so he goes back to his university and writes his, his um, dissertation and he got failed because he mentioned Christianity as a cause because he spoke so highly of the, the change that Christianity brought. And he couldn't go forward with that because in his own integrity, 
he, he couldn't remove Christianity from the, from the equation. And again, he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a Christian. He was just someone looking on going, this is incredible that Christ changes lives. So, yeah, this is, this is important. Um, have you guys got any thoughts or questions on the helping the needy, the fighting injustice and so on? Okay. I always tease my class. I teach my class and I'll say any questions and I just hear crickets, you know, and it's like, oh, it's so relaxing when I ask questions. I just, there's no noise. <laughs> okay. This is an interesting one, sending money. Now, this is important to sending out missionaries, actually, because they, I can tell you by experience, they have to live. Um, it's important. But, but is that also saying we have to be careful with that? To think, well, should I be challenged to go? Should I be challenged to go? You know? It's cool if you want to support. I, I, I have a guy that I know who's, who's got all sorts of business plans and stuff, and he goes, oh, you know, I'm not going to go, but I'm going to do this, and it's going to do this, and it's going to do this, and it's going to do this. He's made tons of money, but he's never given a cent to missions because he's just fooled himself. You know, this is really important, and people sacrificially give, it actually breaks our hearts and it's something that makes you work all the harder because you see that there's, we have a guy who's a, who's a, um, a retiree in his 80s that gives us a lot of money every month and we just like, it would break our hearts to ever not go on with what we're doing and not be faithful because of the people that sacrifice. But don't let this be an excuse that comes up in your heart. Serving overseas in any way, I, I'm actually not against things like child sponsorship. I'm not against it at all because it's the great command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But when there's not the gospel, what are we doing? What are we doing? Very important. In local evangelism, this is interesting. There was a mission that came out um, 20 years ago um, that basically said the, the era of Western evangelization is over. Western missions is over. It should really be carried out by local workers. And, and it kind of fell in a heap, unfortunately. Um, but, but I remember talking to a friend of mine, an Indonesian guy, who's, my son's marrying his daughter soon, which is nice. Um, he's a good friend over there. And I said, this is what this mission says. What do you reckon? He goes, that's terrible. Who told you that? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, we make really good teams. You guys are all disciplined and you like to sit at your desk and you know, you've got such great materials and, and English and we don't have that because we can't speak English but you're useless with people, you know, that kind of thing is, they'll just sit on someone's porch and talk with them all afternoon, build them up in the Lord, where I'm like kind of thinking about what I have to do next, you know, after a couple of hours, um, wanting to move on to the next task-oriented thing. Um, and they say, we make really good teams. So why is it that we have to think one or the other? But the other, the other aspect, and it was brought out in some of those statistics before, is that in many cases where you, you support a local... Uh, a local worker, they tend to often stay in the place where they were uh, rather than actually go to the unreached people groups. Remember that when we go back? Oh, I love doing that. Here we go. Is that the one? No, that's one. See here? This is local workers, right? So the unreached, 0 0.37. 0.37 of a percent. So that's, yeah. Let's again. Um, yeah, so, so it's not either or, and we don't have to think what's cheap. 
you know, we actually just want to think what's going to uh, glorify God and what's going to be consistent with the Great Commission. The next one here is just some of those other questions I brought out. Isn't the job already finished? That's pretty clear, right? Um, there are more unreached people now than there were when Christ gave the Great Commission. Um, so there's a, it's a huge job still to do. Um, and very few workers. You notice how few workers there are going to the unreached. Uh, we're going to look at that tomorrow. We're going to look at some of these statistics again tomorrow, so I hope that doesn't bore you in the meeting tomorrow, that the harvest is plentiful and the labour is a few. Uh, so we're going to look at that. Our local workers, we already saw that. Why does it take so long? So if we're in Indonesia, right? Do you know much about Indonesia? We didn't when we first moved there. It's all right. Um, Indonesia has about 250 million people, 260 million people. So fairly big, but not India big. Uh, but fairly big. They're about 80% Muslim. But in Indonesia, the thing we, you don't always think about is that they have 700 languages in Indonesia. So if I want to reach an unreached people group, well, often they don't speak the trade language, which is called Indonesian. So we went there in 2006. Uh, it was 2008 before we really could get into ministry because we had to learn the Indonesian language and culture. And thankfully, we've stayed just using that language and culture. But our friends who wanted to go to an unreached people group um, and serve in a remote people group, they then had to learn another language and another culture, sit with the people, and it wasn't written. There was no dictionary. There were no, you know, no helps that they could use. And so basically they had to sit in people's houses with them and say, what's this? What's that? What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? You know, those kind of things to pick up the verbs and the nouns and then slowly put sentences together. It's a long-term proposition. Well, then you come to teaching them. And when you teach a person that has no concept of God and you say, God wants this or God wants that, what are they going to think? Well, hang on, is that my spirit guide? Or what's this God they're talking about? So we, we actually start from creation and teach them all the way through to Christ. It's, you might have heard of Firm Foundations. So it's a it's a clear method that takes them all the way through the scriptures so that they get a full grasp on who God is, what sin is, who humans are, who demons are, who angels are, what the law is, what God expects of us, and then the promise of the Messiah that goes all the way through the Old Testament and then is fulfilled in Christ so that they can grasp the whole thing. And then they become Christians and that's when the work starts. <laughs> you know, this is, everything takes time. When you translate the scriptures, you, you know, like when you, this is, I use the ESV, some of you guys might have the NIV or the NLT. They have whole committees of people that translate them and it takes years. With us, there's this translator and he's up in a remote people group using the materials that are with him. We have a, a long painstaking process that goes through checking every verse. So there's not a single mistake. It's not something you can Google translate. It's something that you have to be very painstaking and careful about, and it takes year upon year upon year. And so, you know, when we're looking at, at missions, it will take a long time. It will take a long time. And that's why we need people who are going to give their life to it, who are going to say, from, from now until eternity, this is what I'm going to do until the Lord calls me. This is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to stick at it and thoroughly teach these people. Uh, thoroughly disciple these people. Um, and that's what, that's what we need um, so that we can get through to the unreached. Um, 
We still have that quarter of an hour. Is there a place for missionaries who don't translate Yes, there is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Bible teaching is another, is another aspect of that. And again, it's systematic. And what you want is to leave it in their hands afterwards. So that they have, because like, oh, if, I'm, if I'm preaching, I use a number of commentaries. So what do I want for them? Do you know what I mean? So we, we actually write a Bible curriculum. There's actually some neat opportunities for, for ministry of people on a team who teach literacy. Um, and that's another aspect that's, that's crucial. Why? Well, how are their leaders going to prepare anything, um, prepare Bible lessons if they don't have, if they can't read or write? You ever, you ever thought of that? Often I call it the spiritual ministry of literacy, where, where you're giving someone the opportunity to be able to read their Bible. You're giving leaders the opportunity to be able to prepare sermons. And what, what we found is that it lifts people up. It lifts people up because they're considered backward usually. Tribal people, the ones that particularly we work with, they're considered backward and foolish and uneducated. And when they learn to read or write, it lifts them up. And again, the, the core of it is, is the gospel. There are many other aspects that you can do. I mean, we, we live on a Bible college um, and we have a guy there, Zach Preeb. He's, he's actually learned the language entirely from lip reading. He's deaf and he's, he's come there and it's taken him an extra year or so, but he's learned the language, learned the language from lip reading, just if, in case you're feeling like you can't do it. <laughs> um, and he's, at, he's helping with tech things. So he's helping training our, train our students so that they can set up solar panels in their houses so that they can build their house and set up the electrical system and set up plumbing so that they can have clean water systems in, in um, uh, yeah, tribal places, things like that. So he's, he's got a number of things there that, that are important. Even on the field, you know, things like accountants, we, we often, I, our field at the moment is missing our accountant. We, he's a guy that's taller than me, he's about here, uh, Just Dick. He's gone back to the States because his, his kids have got some struggles with learning and in, in, in homeschooling, so they need to be stateside for a while. And, and we don't have a field accountant. And so we're there going, I don't know what we do, you know, because he's not on the ground, uh, not able to do it. So, yeah, there's a lot of different things. We find people who have had nursing training uh, or medical training incredibly helpful on a team because there's a lot of medical work that goes on. The people come and they've got usually, often quite difficult things. But if you can help them with oral rehydration when they've got diarrhea, antibiotics when they've got an infection, and malaria medication taken properly, you'll fix 80% of the deaths uh, in an area. So, yeah, having, having some medical understanding is really helpful to being on a team. Um, and, of course, with us, we don't work in, as individuals. We'll tend to work as teams when we go into places, uh, just so people can build each other up, encourage each other. And, and it's just too much work to do for one person. So it takes a long time. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? A little bit of time left. When we think about the Great Commission, what are your thoughts on short-term missions? Short-term missions. Yep. Well, I think 
Yeah. And I think too, like where you're going that to, to do that will be an English speaking place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, yeah. pretty good. So I mean, on a grand scale, been one to three weeks, it's, would be impractical to set out what you guys do. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's just seeing it for what it is. And I think, and I think thinking through what we do. So, so if you're going to an English speaking place, um, where there's already Christians, you're, you're wanting to build the church up in ways that they don't necessarily have. So we have friends, actually his daughter's here. He's with Open Air Campaigners. He goes to Fiji and Vanuatu and the Cook Islands and helps the churches learn how to do evangelism. And I think, wow, thumbs up. All of those places have more evangelical Christians than New Zealand, but the churches don't have that sense of the urgency to evangelize because it's possibly a bit more cultural to go to church. So that's, that's another thing that's really helpful to go to some places. And it's really builds you as a person to be preaching the gospel. And, and in some ways, you know, you go over there and you do it special, but you come home and there's a sense of, I want to carry on. I want to keep pre preaching the gospel to my own people. I think, think carefully about going to do projects because, you know, you have people coming over, oh, can, you know, can I come and paint a wall? And it's like, well... Yeah, you got a team of five people that's going to cost you 15 grand to come and paint a wall that we could pay a local guy a hundred bucks for. Do you know what I mean? Thinking through how we do it, why, how we think about what we do. What I love to, to do with, with uh, short-term missions is to say, um, please come, but we, we really want to encourage you to do long-term missions. So we want you to see missions. We want you to come to an unreached people group and see what it's like there. We want you to see the frustration they have because they don't have the scriptures in their own language yet. We want to see, want you to see some of those realities. And you can come and be a blessing in some way. But, but yeah, uh, the aim is that you would do long-term missions. Because uh, short-term missions are very helpful, but they're not touching any of those people groups who have no opportunity to hear the gospel. So short-term missions is good, but please don't think that is the be-all and end-all of missions. Actually, what we really need are people who will lay down the, the rest of their lives uh, to do that. And let me tell you, you get to the end of your life and you've put the Bible in someone else's language, or you've, you've brought the gospel to a people group that didn't have it before, or you've taught a whole generation of people to read and write. Let me tell you, you're not going to go out of this world saying, I wish I'd done more. Oh, wow, I wish I'd sold more cars or built more houses or... Do you know what I mean? You, you're going to go out of this world saying, praise the Lord. So, any other questions before we go? Yeah. I was at quarter past. Yeah. Oh, I thought I had so much time. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, the statistic before said 41.5% of this world is unreached, which is like a massive percentage. Yes. But, um, I don't know, what do you, like, personally, what do you think? actually needs to happen for that 41.5% to actually decrease by a good amount? We need to hugely increase the missionaries who are going out. Hugely increase it. Um, so that statistics are much more than 3% who are going to those people groups. Um, to go there and to, to, to actually disciple people. We need to open training institutes in those areas to train pastors and, and leaders who can lead those people. Those would be the main ones. Um, but, but for me, what I see in terms of missions is a lack of clarity and a lack of even sense that it's important. And so that's where I think those stats actually really help us to think, wow, you know, we're missing the point. 
Let's, let's pray and then we'll head off. Sorry I went over time. I thought I had more time. Father, thank you for the time that we can have today. Thank you that it's you that desires these people to come to yourself. And Father, we pray that you give us your heart and your desire that you would uh, raise up a generation of missionaries that will go uh, to these places and bring your gospel to them and uh, spend their lives there, Lord, and lay their lives down for you. And pray for each one here, Lord, that wherever they are, that they will love and serve you with their whole life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Good questions.